And I invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. Now for today's message, I'm going to ask you to pretend something with me. I want you to pretend something with me. We're all going to pretend something, all right? Let's all pretend that we don't know how today's story is going to turn out, okay? We're going to look at this story in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, which we could call the temptation of Jesus. Not that this is the only time that Jesus was ever tempted, but this is the big test right before he begins his public ministry. It's like that final exam before you graduate into real life. It's like the clinical trials that you need before you become a nurse. It's like the decisive test to determine if you're ready to go. That's what Jesus is heading into. And we all know this story, at least most of us I think do. Do you know this story? The temptation of Jesus in the wilderness? Yeah? Try to pretend with me that you don't. Try to imagine what it would be like to be there and watch the drama unfold and you don't know what's going to happen next. Try to imagine what it would be like to read or to hear this story for the very first time and you don't know what the ending is. Now, I've known this story, like you, for a very long time. And in fact, it has a a, a very dear place in my heart because exactly 20 years ago, I preached on this passage, Matthew chapter 4, And the sermon was recorded on an audio tape. Remember those? Audio tapes. Put them in your car, right? And I sent a copy of that sermon on audio tape to a search committee of an evangelical free church in Lance, Pennsylvania, 20 years ago. Now, I don't know if there are any any copies of that message still in existence. I'm not sure I'd want to hear it if if there were, but I remember it well. Think about this. I had probably preached less than a dozen times when I sent Wally Kephart that tape. Now I've preached over 800 times, and I'm still excited about sharing this story. I've got to preach Mark's version here from this pulpit. I've got to preach Luke's version here from this pulpit, but I don't think I've ever got to preach Matthew's version from this pulpit. So here we go. The temptation of Jesus. And before we read it, let's pray together. Father, we do know how it turns out, but help us to to anticipate and to to follow along the story one piece at a time. And just think, what if what if what was what did happen didn't happen? And just to feel it and to see it and to to immerse ourselves in this story. Lord, thank you for what this story teaches. Help us to apply it to our life. We pray in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. So we've reached chapter 4 in the Gospel of Matthew, but Jesus has not yet begun His public ministry. We've learned about His genealogy and what that says about Him. We've learned about the unique circumstances that surrounded His birth, His miraculous conception, the meaning of His name. We've learned about the search for Him after He was born, a a search by Gentile wise men to worship Him, and a search by an evil king to attempt to assassinate Him. And last week, we learned about His baptism, how Jesus' forerunner, John, announced His coming, and then to fulfill all righteousness, 
Jesus identified with us going down into the water and then coming back up out of the water of the Jordan River. And you remember what happened next? At the very end of that story, it was very important. Look at the last verse of chapter 3. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now pretend you don't know what's going to happen next. What would you guess will happen next? Well, I would guess that the people around him would begin worshiping him. And the kingdom of God would come rushing in. But that's not what happens. No, with the voice of God the Father Himself ringing in Jesus' ears, Jesus was sent into the wilderness to take a great test. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. That's what's next. That was what was next in God's plan. There's a lot in that sentence, isn't there? Who sent Jesus into the desert? The Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that had just rested on Him like a dove. Mark tells us in his Gospel that the Spirit drove Jesus into the desert. The the Spirit landed on Jesus and just pushed Him out there to take this test. That's important to notice. God is sovereign over this testing. He doesn't tempt He doesn't try to trip us up. He doesn't try to trip up His children. But He does allow their testing and even in some way ordain their testing. Which is important to remember if you're being tested. Just because you're being tested doesn't mean you're not loved. Are you being tested right now? That does not mean you're not loved. Was Jesus loved? This is my Son whom I love. Go take the test. For His good and for God's glory and for our salvation, as we shall soon see. Where does this test take place, according to verse 1? In the desert or in the wilderness. What does that remind you of? Who else was tested in the wilderness? The nation of Israel, right? And how did they do at that test? Hmm... Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. How did Israel do with that test? Not so good. And now Jesus comes and He takes a similar test. He goes out into the wilderness. How do you think He'll do? Now pretend you don't know. Look at verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You think? That sounds like an award-winning understatement to me. What does that 40 days and 40 nights remind you of? Well, Moses and Elijah had famous 40 days and 40 nights. So it's a pattern that reappears. But I think it's supposed to remind us of those 40 years. That Israel was tested in the desert. And Jesus is hungry. Have you ever been hungry? I mean really hungry. Am I making you hungry by saying the word hungry? 
That's, I don't know about you, but that's one of my worst times for temptation. And Jesus was fully human. Do you see that? He was hungry. There's a lot in that statement. You might think, well, this is God. So it's no big deal. No, it doesn't say Jesus acted hungry or that Jesus pretended to be hungry. No, the incarnation meant that Jesus was and is fully human. The miracle of Christmas worked. The baby was real, and now the man is real, and now he's really hungry. And he's going to be really tempted by the tempter himself. Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Do you think that was tempting to Jesus? You bet it was. He was hungry. And he was the son of God. He had all the power and all the authority to turn those rocks into bread. To turn the desert into a bakery. I said bakery. Is your mouth watering with the idea of the smell of bread? All I'm doing is saying the smell of bread. Is your mouth watering? Imagine having had nothing to eat for 40 days and somebody saying, the smell of bread. Now notice that the tempter, we have no idea what form he took at this point, doesn't matter. The tempter says that Jesus is the Son of God. That if in verse 3 can be translated since. Since you're the Son of God, prove it. Use it. Act on it. Show it. Remember what just happened at the end of chapter 3. You know, there was no chapters when Matthew wrote this. It just flows right from the baptism, right into the temptation. God the Father has claimed Jesus as His own beloved Son with whom He is well pleased. Well, what good is that if you can't even use it to fill your empty belly? You know, this is only tempting if He can really do it. There's no temptation here if he isn't the Son of God and doesn't have the power of God at his command. The temptation is very real. It's excruciatingly real. But Jesus says, no. Verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you know where he got that from? Deuteronomy Chapter 8, it's the very next verse from the one I just read you a minute ago. Chapter 8, verse 2, verse 3. It is written, Jesus says, the Lord will provide when He wants to. And it would be wrong to disobey and to use divine power to short-circuit the Lord's plan and serve yourself. Jesus says there are more important things than food. I know that's hard to believe. There are more important things than food. Jesus hungered and thirsted for righteousness. Jesus has food that other people knew nothing of. Jesus' food was to do the will of Him who sent Him and to finish His work. And for Jesus, that was enough. Doesn't mean He wasn't hungry. Heck says He was hungry. Doesn't mean He wasn't tempted. He came to be tempted. But He didn't give in. Notice that Jesus said, it is written. That's important. 
He's going to say that again and again. Jesus knew his Bible and he relied on it. He believed it and he entrusted himself to what it says. We're going to come back to that because he does it again and again. Of course, the devil also knows his Bible and he's not done yet. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. The devil says, well, two can play at that game. I can quote scripture too. He takes Jesus up to Jerusalem. And has him stand on the highest point of the temple. We don't know if this, is, if this is visionary or a diabolical miracle. It doesn't say. Whatever it is, it's real. And it was a real temptation to Jesus. It's possible that this was on the corner of the temple that overlooked the Kidron Valley. And was about a 300 foot drop to the rocks below. Now these rocks are not potential bread. They're potential knives. To tear his body to pieces in his fall. And the devil says, come on, jump. Since you're the son of God, you don't have anything to worry about. I mean, it is written, that's your phrase, it is written in Psalm 91 that the godly one won't be hurt. And who's more godly than you? God himself will command his angels concerning you and they'll lift up you up in their hands so you'll not strike even your foot against a stone. What a miracle that'll be. Come on, let's see it. Do it. You know, I don't think that's how Psalm 91 was supposed to be interpreted and applied. Do you? But it was tempting to Jesus. Maybe because it would show the world that Jesus is God's Son in a spectacular way. It definitely meant that He would not have to suffer. This would be an easy way of getting followers if anybody saw this. Wow! But it was all wrong. This is the prosperity gospel of so many television preachers. God doesn't want you to suffer. God doesn't want you to be poor or unhealthy or even to die. Just name it and claim it. Claim God's Word. Jesus says, no. Verse 7, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. By the way, that's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Jesus says, you don't manipulate God. You don't turn God's, twist God's arm by quoting and claiming Scripture out of context. You obey God, even if it means you suffer and you die doing it. It's a lie that says that God is only faithful when He rescues you from trouble. No, God is faithful all the time, even if you die trusting Him. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You see how he did that? There he goes again with his Bible. But the devil isn't done yet. Verse 8, pretend you don't know what's going to happen. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, pretend you don't know what happens in the very next verse. Was this tempting to Jesus? I'm sure it was. Not that he gave in. Not even for a millisecond. And not that he wanted to worship Satan as if. 
But imagine being offered all the kingdoms of the world that are rightfully yours and not having to go to the cross. Skip the cross. Go right to the crown. That sounds good, doesn't it? I'm sure it sounded good to Jesus as well. And he also saw right through it. He saw that even though Satan is called the prince of this world, these kingdoms were not his to give away. And he saw that to bow down and worship the devil would be to go against every single thing that he knows is true about the world. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Jesus said, No way. It's tempting. But no way. And he quoted Scripture yet again. This time it was Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 14. A couple verses earlier. It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. There's only one who is worthy of all of our worship. And that is the Lord Himself. And the Lord Himself will give Jesus all of the nations. He promised them to Him in Psalm 2. And we are winning them for Him right now as we fulfill the Great Commission from Matthew 28. Jesus just had to go to the cross to get them. And with that third, it is written, the devil had to run away with his tail between his legs. Verse 11, then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. And my guess is that they brought him a big picnic lunch. So what does this story mean for us today? Why is it in your Bible? Why do Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us, give an account of the Spirit of God leading Jesus into the wilderness where He had to be tempted by Satan? Let me make three points. Number one, Jesus trusted God's Word. Don't miss that. Every time Satan threw his temptation at Jesus, like an arrow, fiery arrow, Every time Jesus pulled out the Scriptures like a big shield of faith and the fiery darts just bounce off. Jesus knew His Bible. He knew what God's Word said. He knew what God had promised and what God had commanded and He he believed it. That's how He survived these temptations. I think we can learn something from that for ourselves today. If you're being tempted, and we all are, God's Word is the way to go. It is written. It is written. It is written. Do you know what is written? Imagine getting shot at and having no shield. You're exposed. You're out there in the devil's crosshairs if you don't know God's Word. That's why we memorize it. That's why we read it. That's why we build all of our ministries as a church around it. Because God's Word is where it's at. It is written. Do you know it? Do you know what's behind the, between the covers of this, this book? If not, you are exposed. 
it is written. Jesus trusted God's Word. He thought of God's Word as life itself. Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's where life is. What do you need to do to get into God's Word and have God's Word get into you? You see the spiritual power that Jesus has? You see how the devil has to flee? Do you want the devil to run away from you? The devil gets resisted. He's the one who backs down because of God's Word. I don't know about you, but I want to know God's Word like that. And I want to believe God's Word like that. Jesus trusted God's Word. And when He did that, He proved that He is God's Son. Which is an even deeper point of this story. Remember what had just happened right before he was led out into the desert. The Spirit had rested on him and the Father had said, that's my boy. And the devil said, oh yeah? The devil plays on that. He does it in verse 3. He does it in verse 6. Prove it. Show it. And Jesus did prove it. And Jesus did show it. Not by some flashy miracle done in his own power but in loyal obedience to the Father in the power of the Spirit. Jesus proved that He was God's Son. That the Father was justified in saying, with Him I am well pleased. In saying no to Satan's temptations, Jesus showed that He truly is God's obedient Son. And friends, that makes Him worthy of all of our worship. Everything we're doing this morning how you're spending your Sunday morning. You know, you could be at home right now. You could be having a snack. You could be eating an early breakfast. You could be having brunch right now. Here you are. What are you doing here? You believe that Jesus is God's Son, worthy of all of your worship. Yes, He's a model for us in resisting temptation, but even more, He is the Son of God and God the Son. And he's shown it by defeating the devil at his own game. We should worship Jesus. You know, I know a lot of people who worship God but don't worship Jesus. I call them godlians. It's not enough to be a godlian. We need to be Christians. We need to give Jesus his proper place. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's Jesus. He is the Son of God. And God the Son, worthy of all of our worship forever. Here's why, number three and last, Jesus passed God's test. Jesus beat the devil. Did you see that coming? That's why I asked you to pretend you didn't know what was going to happen. You might have guessed he was going to win from what we'd read in Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and 3. But we didn't know. So often in the Bible, when the testing comes, they fail, right? Adam, in the garden, not even in the desert, in the garden, he fails the test. How many are reading their Bible through this year? I'm in Genesis chapter 30 right now, and I can't believe how many failures there are. We're only 30 chapters in. How many failures? Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This morning I was reading, Jacob had Two wives, two concubines, 12 kids. What are you thinking, Jacob? This is, this is not the way to do this. 
I can't believe how many failures there are. They crashed and they failed so often. The whole Old Testament is a story of repeated failure. Israel in the wilderness, they didn't pass the test. Even great leaders like King David, when Satan came knocking, down he went. So many thumbs down, right? The whole Old Testament is a story of thumbs down. Now Jesus comes along and he goes out in the desert and what happens? He wins. Jesus beat the devil. He beat the devil. When I preached this, uh, the, the, the message that was on the audio tape 20 years ago, I think I set it up like a boxing match. In this corner we have Satan, the undefeated and reigning champion. You can win against this guy sometimes, but he's always getting in his shots. Ever since Genesis 3, he's been taking down humans. He will strike your heel. But in this corner stands the Son of God. Fully human, fully temptable, fully hungry, and victorious. Sorry, Satan. He will crush your head. Jesus beat the devil. Jesus succeeded where Adam and Israel had failed. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. He passed the test. And you know what that means? That means he could go to the cross. And he could win our salvation for us. If he had given in, just just for a millisecond, to any of these temptations or any of the ones that are still to come, Satan's not done. He just ran away. He's going to look for another time. He'll be back. If he had just given in for a millisecond, then we would not have a sinless Savior to rescue us. But he didn't give in. He passed the test. And that gives all who trust in him the victory. He didn't bypass the cross to gain the crown. The Son of God went to the cross to win the crown and to save us from our sins. Amen? Let's pray together. We're so thankful, Lord. So much was riding on these interactions. Because if he went down, even just down on one knee, gave in for just a little bit, entertained it, the ideas, lusted after them, whipped up half a miracle, we would be damned. We would be lost. But he didn't. He said, no way, no way, no way. He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he won the fight. And his reward was to go to the cross for us. Thank you for what Jesus did. Thank you for his perfect life, for his righteousness, and for his sacrifice for us. I pray for anybody here who has not yet trusted Jesus as their Savior. That right now they would see with the eyes of faith what a perfect Savior He is. And they put their faith in Him. And receive Jesus as their Savior, their Lord. Because He won the fight. Thank you for that. Thank you that He proved 
beyond a shadow of a doubt that He is the Son of God and God the Son. We worship Him. We give Him all of our faith, all of our worship, not just a portion of our funds, but all of us. We give you ourselves. We give you ourselves again. You are so worthy, Jesus. And teach us, Lord, to obey like this, to know our Bibles and to follow his example in resisting the devil so he must flee. Thank you for what we read here and what a difference it makes in our life. And we pray in the name of our champion. Amen.